Well, Anne, we had notes for all kinds of other stuff. And then uh, the first day of Holy Week comes around and um, Paris had a little event happen. Some people did something. <laughs> Isn't that the new euphemism for it? Um, it we, don't, we obviously don't know, but, you know, who did it, arson, whatever. However, okay, I'm, you know, I'm up and wiggling and out and about and, and looking at this happening basically in real time. I got keyed into the fact that, that Notre Dame was on fire um, 45 minutes probably after the fire itself broke out. And they were already, well, I not say within 45 minutes, but within an hour and a half, within 90 minutes, 90 minutes, the French authorities are saying we can absolutely rule out arson. We have no idea how it started, but we can absolutely rule out arson. Um, if that's not a red flag, I don't know what the hell is. Um, I think the odds are are significantly north of 50% that it was in fact arson. And within that set, the odds are significantly north of 50% that it was in fact Musloids who did it. Dates match up, anniversaries of things, and they're all big on that. Um, the other thing that's now come to light within you know, just the last few hours or so is that the the contractors who were in fact, you know, working and <coughs> they were getting ready to, they're basically getting ramped up to, they were getting ramped up to start some repair works, in fact, on the spire and on the roof. The contractors have, have and good for them, they've come out preemptively and said, look, only activity, the only activity that was going on in that church was setting up scaffolding. Nobody was doing any welding. There was there was absolutely nothing going on except setting up scaffolding. And good for them for saying that. So, um, I mean, you know, the, th the thing stands for almost 900 years without incident. It rides out World War II without incident. And then... It burns to the ground um, in a month, or in a month, and in a in a week, in a month, and in a year, in which France. I don't know if you've seen this map of the the churches that have been desecrated in France over the past year. It is absolutely stunning to look at. There's one, and we'll. Um, I saw I saw a copy of it at Ace of Spades, um, of all places. And we'll put this in the show notes. But you look at this map of how many churches in France just within the past one year have been broken into, desecrated, taber tabernacles, you know, desecrated, hosts desecrated, um, you know, feces, crosses of made of human feces smeared on things, statues uh, broken, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Total complete blackout on this. I'm I'm looking at this map that I'm looking at now on Ace of Spades. I, I there there's got to be hundreds of them. It has to be hundreds. The entire nation of France is covered, covered with incidences of churches being desecrated, broken into, whatever. Um, and so you know, there's all kinds of prophecies when you see France burning, folks. It, it's happening. It's just the fact that. The, the media has put a complete and total blackout on this, and the French, being the French, being the cheese-eating surrender monkey race that they are, have are, are so whipped and so cowed that they refuse to, they not only refuse to acknowledge what's happening, they are at this point now willing to actively lie and say, no, 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 no. I'm sorry, this church that's been standing for 900 years is up in flames. The steeple hadn't even fallen yet. The steeple hadn't even collapsed yet. And the French authorities are saying, we can absolutely 100% rule out arson and terrorism. How? How, you lying frog? How can you possibly do that? The only way you could is if, say, for example, the contractors came and said, oh, crap, this is what happened. You know, Francois was up up in the roof and he was working with an arc welder or something and a spark flew and and it 
et cetera, et cetera. The only way you could know, the only way you could definitely authoritatively say that it wasn't arson is if you had 100% rock solid proof testimony, eyewitnesses, people saying, look, this is what happened. We saw it happen. And video surveillance the whole time because people will lie. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And and but not only is there none of that in the same breath, in the same breath, the French authorities say we have no idea what happened, but we absolutely 100 percent could rule out arson and terrorism. Um, that that is such a red flag. You well, don't, it, you, it, it sounds like the kind of thing you would say if you're really <laughs> concerned that maybe your French Muslim citizens might riot and start burning other things if you uh, allow the accusation of arson or some kind of anti-Catholic um, action to be caused for or to be blamed on on this. Well, I, I suppose if you're that whipped, I, I think what I would do if 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 I were the if I were the Queen of France's, I'd just start rounding those bastards up and deporting them because they are burning your country to the ground. Um, but you know, the French, they, the other thing about the French is that they just don't care in these. And, you know, there's been, we've been talking, um, on the blog, especially about the vice of acedia. And it's, it's a term that a lot of people aren't, aren't necessarily familiar with. Acedia is beyond just mere indifference. It's that you don't care and you don't care that you don't care. You fully acknowledge that you don't care. And then you fully acknowledge that you don't care that you don't care. And you, and you even crow about it. The French are so far gone and it is such a post-Christian, atheistic, um, humanistic, Freemasonic culture that they their acedia is a point of pride for them. And so they look at something like this and most of them are, are so far gone. And not only that, but a lot of them bear a, a hatred, an absolute hatred of the church, of Christianity, of all of it. And, and there's a self-loathing dynamic clearly that goes, goes, hand in hand with that. They're happy to see something like this happen. And this kind of segues into, um, um, I'm, I'm writing quite a little traffic spike at the moment right now. Um, and the reason I'm writing a massive traffic, writing a massive traffic spike on Barnhart, uh, Barnhart.biz is because, you know, the work that I've done on Islam, people are coming to check out and see what I had to say. And the thing, the top post that's there right now is, look, mark my words, mark my words. This, it, it's still standing. It's just, the, it's basically just, you know, the roof burned off. Um, uh, uh, the steeple fell in. Uh, most, most of the vaults in the nave held. Um, only there's a, there's a huge gaping hole in the ceiling, <laughs> as we were talking about right before we, we uh, started recording the show, right above the Cranmer table, right above the Novus Ordo altar, in fact. The high altar's completely fine. The high altar's untouched. We were just it's, talking about this. Was it last year or the year before? There was um, the... the 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 parish or whatever they call that for the cardinals where, where they it's their titular parish it's titular church yeah for uh, Coco Palmerio and it's a name you should recognize if you listen to the the podcast or read the blog there was a an earthquake and a part of the ceiling or just I don't even remember if it was an earthquake no. it was a part was of the nothing. ceiling a part no. of the ceiling fell in completely obliterated the Novus Ordo altar high yeah. altar the beautiful high altar just fine just fine and, and yeah. here in Paris you know. There's a lot of symbolism, too, also about the, the church burning from within, starting at the top. I mean, think about that for yeah, a minute. Yeah, yeah. One of oh, the yeah. oldest churches, well, maybe, okay, say oldest church in France, and I'm, I'm almost certainly wrong about that because the, the Catholic faith in France is ancient. But it's certainly an iconic landmark church burning from the top, from within, and the Novus Ordo mm-hmm. altar was right under the main spire. Uh, my wife was telling me this. I didn't even know this, but apparently the Novus Ordo altar at that chapel, because she's been there, is right under the spire where the transepts crossed with the nave. That yeah. was absolutely obliterated. High mm-hmm. altar, not even bothered. And you know, I just I was just looking at some pictures. There's there's quite a few pictures now on the internet of the the interior of the church post fire. There there are still wooden pews sitting there in, in the nave of the church, you know? Um, so yeah, it's, it, it burned 
And the fear, the big fear yesterday when this, when it was in full, when it was in full flame was, and what I read and I thought, oh no, that's, that's going to be what does it in. You know, there's these two great big, they're not steeples. The steeple was right in the middle of the transept. You know, churches are in the form of a cross. Well, or, technically it was a spire on that church. But a yes. spire. Yeah. It, but if, then, you, if you're familiar with, with, with Baptist and Protestant churches in the United States and this, what they call steeples, that would mm-hmm. be a spire. Yeah. Yeah. So on the basically the front facade of Notre Dame has these two big square turrets, I guess that's bell tower, uh, um, uh, rectangular prism, bell towers enormous absolutely enormous to and they're they're the same height it's it's symmetrical and what i was reading yesterday when it was in full flame was what they were absolutely terrified of is that the fire was going to get into those towers and burn all of the rigging and the ropes that hold those enormous enormous bells and that then if, and you know, bells are always named, bells have named, bells are even in, in the right of the church, bells are baptized, which is very interesting. Um, they're given names. The big, huge, ginormous one is called Emmanuel. And they were all terrified that if all of that rigging, you know, wood and the ropes, um, ropes obviously being flammable, if that all burned and that and those one or both of those bells fell, that that would, ins- that would just... I mean, then it would be like the World Trade Center. I mean, the whole thing would just, those bells would take out the entire superstructure. Um, But thanks be to God, that did not happen. Um, They were able to, I guess, keep, keep the fire from getting into those towers, or at least to, to that much of a degree that it, that it uh, compromised the bells. But yeah, it's all, it's all very emblematic um symbolic yes you should absolutely positively read something into this it's signs things are happening you're not being a cuckoo pants um schizo weirdo if you look at this and look at what's happening in france and looking look at the events of the world look at the things that bergoglio is saying his his declarations of basically basically a declaration of Freemasonry. That's what that Dubai statement was. God positively wills all religions. Um, we all have to be um, craftsmen in the fraternity, in the human fraternity. The, I mean, craftsmen of the human fraternity. You you just might as well tattoo a, a compass and square on your forehead with a ginormous G and just get it over with. That, that would be more subtle. Getting that tattooed on your forehead would be more subtle than going and, and making a declaration that we all have to be craftsmen in the uh, fraternity of humanity. That is the Freemasonic creed. And so the traffic spike that I'm writing right now is I, may, I just made a very simple post that said, listen, this thing is, is done as a Catholic church. Oh, there's there's already people Louis Vuitton. Okay, the Louis Vuitton Fashion Group, which is which you know puts forth clothes, culture, fashion that can only be described as abject evil. I mean, there's there's nothing good about these paradigms. There's nothing beautiful or virtuous having to do with you know the Louis Vuitton Fashion Group. It's a it's a hive of sodomites who are pushing and promulgating ugliness as beauty and, um, you know, just decadent, decadent materialism, so on and so forth. They've pledged $200 million to rebuild this thing. Um, some Hollywood star, Salma Hayek's husband, he's some Frenchman. I don't know. He's pledged, I think like a hundred million or something like that. Stop and ask yourselves, stop and ask yourselves why to what end and what will the what will the content what will the conditions be for this money to come in? Well, Emmanuel Macron. Or, go ahead, go ahead. I was gonna say Emmanuel Macron already answered the question. He said that <laughs> Notre Dame Notre Dame will be rebuilt, quote, in a way consistent with our modern diverse nation, end quote. Yep. It's oh, done I don't as a know. church. Who's who's which group is growing and reproducing at a rate faster than anything else in France? Never mind the fact that they were stopped five and a half centuries before at, at tours before you know Notre Dame was even built mm-hmm. 
they're back and they're going to take over France at some point, unfortunately, because well, the French the don't care. They've lost the faith. Yeah. And that that is how Notre Dame, the, the walls are still standing. The superstructure is still standing. Oh, and I'm sure that they will go to work on it and it will be rebuilt and this will be done. It will be done this way under pressure from anti-Pope Bergoglio, that coven that is occupying the Vatican. It will be done under pressure that the space be, quote unquote, transformed into a shared cultural spiritual space. And then what will happen, that means Freemasonry. So it's going to be a multi-culti, um, what, what would we call it in the U.S.? What Like at the Air Force Academy, it's called an, an all-faith chapel. I would say we call it the Cathedral of Los Angeles. They definitely have multi-faith um, worship spaces there. Yeah, the Taj Mahoney. And I was uh, exchanging some comments with somebody on Twitter about, uh, yeah, don't forget the uh, the David Bowie statue over one of the um, the doors. And he thought I was joking. And I, I posted a, a, a photo on Twitter of, of this. It's supposed to be Our Lady. But apparently this guy actually knows what David Bowie looks like. I was just quoting somebody else saying, and he says, oh my goodness, it looks exactly like him from a Ziggy Stardust day. So, yep. yeah, it's not exactly, they're not exactly doing it pious-like out in, out in uh, Los Angeles right now. No. So, so, you know, look forward to that in Paris in the near future. Well, yeah, but I mean, it'll be, it'll be, this building will be turned into a, um, an, a quote-unquote all-faiths chapel. And then what will instantly happen is that... You know, the Musloids will take over. There will be all that satanic screeching and howling and all that crap that they do. They will all converge on it and it will become, it will almost instantaneously become a de facto mosque. And the taxpayers and the, you know, the globalists, they will have all, they will have all happily paid for this. The French will be patting themselves on the back for how wonderful it is. And yeah, it's, this is how it's going to happen. Then once that's done, there, it's going to be called the Notre Dame model, and they're going to start going ac across Europe, across France, and they will start doing this. They'll start mandating it. They will start legally mandating because you can't have the Catholic Church claim exclusive rights, exclusive ownership, um, exclusive credit for all of this, you know, shared human historic architectural patrimony. Um, well, and it, don't that, forget, in France, the nation of France, the French government owns all of the churches, and then they lease the churches to the Catholic Church. But this is this is how, if you're wondering, how in the world does the Society of Saint Pius X, for example, get some of these grand ancient churches and big ones at that? It's because in the you know liberty, fraternity, equality, yeah, you're all the, you're all equal in our eyes from the government's point of view. They've got a big enough faith group. Sure, you get a chapel. You get a chapel. Yeah. Muslims, you get a chapel, make a mosque out of it. So the country that gave us the universal rights of man are going to give us the um, universal cathedral of the new world religion. Exactly. And it's the same thing. Um, I don't know what exactly the situation in Germany is, but as we've discussed at length on this podcast and in writing, the German church is so far gone, it should be put under interdict, full stop. Um, I don't, I, I not uh, sound enough in what exactly the, the church state ownership paradigm is of the real estate itself. Um, I, I want to say that the state doesn't own things in Germany. The state does own things in, um, at least in the city of Rome, the Italian Republic absolutely owns and controls all of the churches that are not specifically in Vatican territory. And this has been this is one of those things. I mean, this was all negotiated in and signed with Mussolini in a concordat first in 1929. And then there have been updates to that concordat, but it's, it's still the same thing. And the joke is, is that the reason that all of the artistic patrimony in Rome has was not destroyed in the 1960s, 70s, 80s, and 90s by these you know, godless recovator, sodomite, communist, infiltrator, churchman. It, the only thing that saved all of that and saved that artistic patrimony was, in fact, the 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 Lateran Accord and the fact that that the Italian state, in fact, has legal control of all of the churches. 
if if the church, if the institutional church infiltrated as it was and is, had actual control of the churches of Rome, it, they would have been looted. Every painting would have been taken out. And you can see some of that in, in other places around Italy that were stripped under, say, for example, that were under Napoleonic conquest and occupation. There are, you know, you go up further north in into Italy and you can go and you can see that just churches, huge, enormous churches, you walk in and they're just bare, just bare walls, not all the side side chapels and side altars have been torn out. All it is is just stucco. It's just stucco. And you say, what the hell happened here? Well, Napoleon is what happened here. Where's all the art? Where are all the, you know, the altarpieces, the paintings, the icons, the the triptychs, whatever? They're all sitting in the Uffizi gallery. That's where they're sitting. And so there was this, there was this systematic looting of, of a lot of these churches, but Rome was spared that ironically, ironically, because of a concordat entered into under a fascist dictatorship, Mussolini, with a Freemasonic Republic. I mean, talk about God working in mysterious ways. That's one of them. But but what what a testimony and what a comment that is that a fascist dictatorship of a Freemasonic Republic was actually a safer place for the artistic patrimony of the city of Rome than under the auspices of the Vatican itself, because that's how bad the infiltration was. It makes me think if all of the churches in the United States were property of the United States government, the recovations that happened in the name of Vatican II, both before and after Vatican II, couldn't have happened because you'd be destroying federal property, and people actually care about that. The federal government definitely cares about that. But oh, yes. destroy, destroy God's property? Meh. Yeah. Meh. Who cares? Who cares? I mean, in the United States, in, in North America, the dynamics are certainly different, especially, you know, west of the eastern seaboard, which is old enough that there was plenty of old architecture, old in quotes. I mean, relative to Europe, it's absolutely nothing. It's all brand new construction, but um, architecture that is, you know, sufficiently old to predate, you know, the, the overt influence of communism. And so, and, you know, this aesthetic of ugliness, but you go <laughs> any point West and you start looking at church architecture and it's just, it's hideous. It's absolutely hideous. And it, it's not built to last, you know, um, a 50-year-old church building in the United States. So something that was that was thrown up in the 60s is probably ending, get, get, getting close to the end of its of its useful life. And everybody would agree it probably would be the right thing to do to just go ahead and scrape it and start over. It's not like this stuff in Europe that's just that's built out of massive, massive uh, stone and masonry, masonry not in the sense of Freemasonry, but in the sense of stonework and so forth. It's none of that. I mean, these are just in the states, just like anything else. Everything's just thrown up, you know, uh, drywall and you know, two by four construction, and it's just it's just no big deal. And it was never meant to last, and a lot of it is actively ugly. So it's not it's not the same dynamic. But there is some artistic patrimony in North America, in in Quebec. Um, I guess Quebec City is just supposed to be absolutely gorgeous. I've never been there, but um, there's some beauty there. But it's a completely it's a completely different uh, mindset and and dynamic. But yeah, it's St. Louis also comes to mind. The the what they call the old cathedral there, or no no, they call it the new cathedral. It's 120 years old, but it was replacing the obviously the old wooden cathedral. That's a beautiful mm. cathedral. And it's, mm -hmm. I don't know if there's any place else in the United States where they call their new cathedral. It's over 100 years old. But then again, this is a city that we took over from the French, so to speak. And there's still a lot right. of French influence there. Same thing in Quebec. Maybe you, have to, oh, yeah. maybe you have to find the French influence to find something authentically Catholic in the United States. I don't know. Uh, I think that's not too far off. I mean, you've got the missions and stuff um, down in, in New Mexico and, and California. And, and, but, you know... Missions, uh, but yes, but not not like giant cathedrals. No, no, and that's—I mean—that's not speaking for myself. That's not my aesthetic anyway. I don't think I'm—I'm I'm not a fan of the of the of the mission architecture aesthetic. But I mean, I'm 
you know, they they have worth and value, and they have a, a very important, very important place in the history of the church and the the settling and civilizing of of the North American continent and the South American continent too. Um, so, what other notes did I want to talk about? Oh, the hero priest. This guy, man, um, the hero priest who ran into the church, got the blessed sacrament out, got the crown of thorns out, and you know all kinds of of other relics that have been you know taken out, and I've read are now um, have been have been transported to the Louvre and are being stored in a secure facility at the Louvre. Who guess guess who this guy is? This guy was a priest of the fraternity of St. Peter. He says the trad mass. He went to the FSSP seminary in Vigratzbad, Germany, graduated from there, was ordained a priest of the fraternity, and then left the fraternity because he wanted specifically to be a military chaplain, which is not uncommon in the fraternity. Lots and lots of guys who are military chaplains, um, Navy, Marine Corps, whatever, Army, lots of, of military chaplains in the priestly fraternity of St. Peter. So he leaves the fraternity. He um, becomes a uh, an army chaplain, a French army chaplain. He's deployed into combat in Afghanistan, sees horrors over there, comes back over, comes back to France, and then becomes chaplain of the fire brigade there in Paris. So this guy also goes and he's he's one of the first responders at the uh, Musloid shooting up of that nightclub situation. He runs into an active shooter situation in this nightclub. He, you know, gives last rites. He, he even said he gave general absolution because there it was just a it was just a field of, of people just laying there shot bloody everything. And he did what a priest should do and he gave general absolution. Um and He's he's got experience in this. Again, people are emailing me saying, "Look look at what this guy's done." And this guy is the kind of guy who runs towards the sound of gunfire. He's the guy who runs into the burning church. He's the guy who. It's not that you that when you're when you have moral fortitude and courage that you don't feel fear. Sure, you feel fear, um, but you're able to suppress it and do the virtuous good over the top of the fear that you feel. Um, and I suppose in some cases, um, yes, in the moment, you, you are so overwhelmed with the sense of duty and you have to act and you have to go and you have to, you have to go now that, yeah, you don't even really feel much fear until after the fact and after you're able to sit and think about it. But, um, yeah, this guy is this guy's the real deal, and lo and behold, he's a tradmas priest. And he, he's if he if he wasn't a national hero before this for what he did at at the nightclub, he he's absolutely going to be a he's going to be a known name. Everybody in France is going to know this priest's name, and and uh, pray for him. And I hope that he handles it. I saw the reference to him in the media reports, and I, I didn't click through it to, to figure out more about his story. So that that's complete news to me. And if you've been re writing about it in your blog, sorry, I haven't, I haven't been reading. I it. Haven't, <laughs> I've no. been pretty busy the last few days. No but uh, wow, I did not know that army chaplain yeah. uh, with yep. the fire brigade. I would I, I, I don't want to make this sound like a joke, but I am legitimately curious whether he thinks there's more Muslim violence happening in Afghanistan or in Paris. Uh, that that'd be interesting to sit down and talk with him about that. Well, I mean, it depends on the species of violence. Um, honor, oh, well, honor killings and all that. You know, um, it's <laughs> it's it's got to be close. I mean, it's like you you look at the stats of of Afghanistan or Iraq or Syria or whatever these hotspots are, and you compare that to an average weekend in Chicago. And oftentimes Chicago is far more violent and that, that just kind of brings it home. <coughs> Excuse me. It wouldn't, um, it wouldn't surprise me at all. And in fact, it seems to me again, we'll, we'll get, I'll, we'll just put the map. I'll send you uh, the image of the map and we'll put the map itself in the show notes and you, you all can just know what it is. This is the map and every one of those dots is an act of violence and desecration against a church in France. And you'll just look at that what we, with only within the last year, only within the past one year. 
and you'll look at that and you'll realize France is at war. It is burning. France is burning. It's all happening. Just because you don't hear about it on the news doesn't mean that it isn't happening. I mean, do you, do you honestly think that when the Vendée genocide was happening, that <laughs> all the people all over France, all the people in Paris, all the people in the south of France, wherever, do you honestly believe that they were getting blow by blow, blow by blow descriptions of how many people were being killed, how many you know houses were being burned, how many villages were being burned? Of course not. Of course not. You know, people outside of the Loire River Valley mostly didn't have much of an idea what was going on, except that you know, four hundred and fifty thousand people were dead within the span of three uh, three years. There you go. Um, it's it's all happening now with France and yes Notre Dame is absolutely a sign and and you're you're in you're in denial and delusion if you don't see that and thus as the eldest daughter of the church and um, you know I'm surprised it hasn't happened sooner to be honest yeah yeah well God is God is merciful and patient and every possible chance and every possible uh you know indicator has been given and there's just there's nothing there's no response this you know the situation it reminds me a little bit of a few years back there was an earthquake in italy and the little town of norcia where you know saint benedict was born that basically the town every church in the town was instantly totally destroyed. Every church in the town collapsed. And you know, you look at something like that and you and you read the testimonies that came out of that and do you think any of the people who lived there and I mean it was you know it was a little tourist town and it was kind of it had a Disneyland quality to it, you know. I mean there were actually people living there. I'm not saying it was an amusement park, but it had a a Disneyland quality to it. Do you think any of the locals stopped contracepting do you think that any of the locals went made made an excellent excellent general confession turned their lives around started going to mass started praying that honestly no no and it's the same thing with this and you know when the earthquake in italy happened i made the comment that um, this is really the first time in all of human history in which massive um, natural disasters or as in, well, like with 9-11 or Notre Dame now, unnatural disasters can happen and mankind is not moved in any way. Usually, I mean, you know, and, and this isn't just in Christian culture, looking back at pagan cultures, you, you see how human beings have been jarred by, by bad things like this that happen. And they have had, they have an instinctual reflexive response to turn, to turn to God in the case of, you know, Christians. And then before our Lord's incarnation, you know, Israel and all of that, these things would befall Israel and they would, what would they do? They would turn back to God and then God would take them back. And then sure enough, after a generation or two or three, they'd fall back into the same crap. They'd be chastised. They'd turn back to God. This is the first time it seems to me in human history where <laughs> things like this happen and mankind is so in love with himself and so narcissistic and so worshipful of himself as God in himself, that there, there's just zero, there's zero inclination to reform your life, turn back to God, start asking questions. What is going on here? What, what can we do to, um, we need to improve ourselves. We need to repent. Something's clearly wrong here. There's just, there's just no response like that now, which is terrifying because it makes you think, well, what could happen? And what is going to have to happen? What is going to have to happen for the average American middle-class ethnic Protestant who, who, may, who goes to a 
lowercase c church service, maybe at Christmas and Easter, does not believe any of the truths of, of the Catholic faith, believes, believes and, in and practices contraception, is fully in favor of sodomy, fully in favor of civil divorce, remarriage, sodomitical, faux marriage, et cetera, et cetera. What is it going to take for those people, those people to fall on their knees and rend their garments and say, my God, my God, have mercy on us. We repent of all of this. Uh, th that if you want to, if you want to freak yourself out and lie awake at night in bed, you lie awake at night in bed and think about that. What is it going to take? And then you understand what Our Lady's warnings at Fatima, the, the gravity of what she's talking about. She's not talking about some, she's not talking about Notre Dame burning down. She's not talking about 9-11. Um, she's talking about global conflagration on a, on a level and on a scope that has never, ever, ever been seen or approached. I mean, I guess the only thing you could you could say it would be even close to is is the the flood of Noah. We know that it's not going to be that sort of a thing where only you know a, a handful of hu human beings survive. It's not going to be that, but it is going to be so bad that it is said that the people who survive it are going to be envy will envy the dead. Well, It'll there be that, that. there is the there is the message of Our Lady at Akita where she makes the, the comparison to the floods of Noah, but it's going to be fire instead of floodwaters. Yeah. yeah. So all, all, all the people who are complaining about overpopulation of the planet, you know, heaven will fix this, but it's not the way we really want to do it. Yeah, indeed. And in fact, the, the irony is, is that there aren't nearly enough human beings, and that's the problem that's a, a large, that's a massive indicator and manifestation of, of the problem. And now, you know, we have the situation where you say, well, and there's seven and a half billion. Yeah, there's seven and a half billion, but there should be a lot more than that. And um, we are now being told from these infiltrators at, at the very, at the very top of the spire, at the peak, peak of the, of the steeple, of the institutional church that it is that it is a sin to proselytize and that the great commission to follow the great commission is is sinful and that these people the ones who are permitted who are permitted to be born um cannot cannot have the gospel preached to them cannot be baptized this is triumphalism this is the this is proselytism. This is a horrible, arrogant thing that you're doing. We need to all, we all need to become Freemasons. And sadly, that's, I think that's what the Cathedral of Notre Dame is going to be. It's going to become, I fear, the, the heart, the emblem, the new image of the Freemasonic milieu in the world. Well, don't forget that during the French Revolution, it's where they enthrone the goddess of reason. Mm. Yes. It has it has quite a history. No no doubt about that. But um I think it's <laughs> I think it's going to be as bad as that and probably worse because I'm I'm very confident that you're going to see these satanic muslim um quote unquote liturgies going on in there. So Unfortunately, I think you're right. Yeah. Because who in France is going to stop them? No, not the French. That's for damn sure. So. And, and the few righteous, good French that are left, if they tried, it would be a hate crime and they'll end up in jail. Yep. Yep. They will be, they will be coming after us and they will be, they will be killing us and they will be saying that they're doing, they're doing a favor to humanity by getting us out of the way because we will be the, the stumbling block to world peace and utopia. And we will be killed. We will be sacrificed on that altar. Well, it is Holy Week, and it is the, the time when we reflect on the price that was paid to redeem us and what was you know, the, the infinite offense that required an infinite recompense 
And so in a way, it's kind of, I don't know, oddly fitting or oddly weird. I really don't know which way to go on that one, that this happens on the first, well, the second day of Holy Week. And uh, I was I was looking at uh, my daily readings and meditations of uh, St. Ignatius, and I found it very interesting that for Monday and Holy Week, when, when uh, Notre Dame burns down and the people who appreciate culture, at the very least, globally are lamenting the loss of this great landmark, the what Saint Saint Augustine or Saint um, Alphonsus puts before before our mind is detachment from all that is not God, mm-hmm. and uh, if we don't purify our our hearts and strip our hearts of everything earthly, the love of God cannot enter in and possess it all. And even the great monuments of the earth that we create, yeah. you know, yep. the to to borrow a common phrase, the work of human hands, which you know a, a cathedral would be, you know, properly speaking, elevated for the for the greater honor and glory of God. We still, yes, it's it's we have a certain sense of of sadness when when such a a marvel to the faith is lost, such a a, a massive testament and, and and patrimony of the faith. But at the same time, it's not for the things of this world that we're living. It's it's for the things of the next world. And so you know, it, it's odd the timing all of all of it as we we contemplate uh, the spiritual realities going on this week. Yeah. And it's, it's an interesting question. And I think it's one that a lot of trad Catholics especially need to really stop and think about. A lot of people trad, which is kind of a new verb, meaning um, switching or, or moving from Novus Ordo Catholicism into the traditional, the traditional Catholic Latin mass world, let's call it. Um, for most people today, that that is a conversion. Um, that, but there's still some older people who are old enough to remember before the council and before the Novus Ordo Mass. And for them, it's a reversion. <coughs> but a lot of people trad um, and are first brought back to tradition. And this is not an intrinsically bad thing, but you have to watch it that it doesn't that it isn't a fetish or doesn't become a fetish that they trad because of the aesthetics, because the architecture, the art, the liturgy itself has this aesthetic beauty. Now, what you have to do is you have to stop and ask yourself, why am I here? What What am I really here seeking? And what have I found? And if the answer to that isn't Jesus Christ, then you have a problem. Um, if you say, well, I go, I go to the trad mass and and I go to mass because, oh, I like the, I like the music. I like the architecture. I like the liturgy. I mean, and those, yeah, that we understand. I mean, it, no, but nobody loves good liturgy and good architecture and all this stuff more than I do. Good music more than I do. However, however. Is that the end? Are you there for the socializing? Are you there for the intellectual stimulation, which a lot of people are, because the traditional the traditional Catholic milieu absolutely does attract and retains people who are more intellectual because it is deep, because it is intelligent, because there there there's meat there. It isn't you know just just banal idiocy, people waving their hands and singing ridiculous 7-Eleven praise and worship songs in some damn hotel ballroom somewhere. And you know that that can't be what it's about. There has to be more. And then you find Thomas and then you find Augustine and it just goes on and on and on. Yes, but is that all that it is? What if all of that went away? Well, think about the whole purpose of the decorum at mass. Why is it... What's the purpose of the beautiful architecture? What is the purpose of the choir? If you can't appreciate the mass with your eyes closed, you got a problem. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the real and the reason I say it that way is because your human eyes can only see what's in the church. The eyes of the soul, if you understand what's going on at the mass, you realize that from the consecration until the end of the communion, you know, imagine a science fiction movie where like some wormhole portal opens up and you see mm-hmm. another dimension. Except yep, spiritually exactly. speaking, that's exactly what's happening. Exactly what's happening. It's yeah. exactly what's happening. And and if you, the, the the whole point of the liturgy of the of the silence or or the chant, 
it is to dispose you to get the most out of that. If you're just there for the for the tour to see the the, the pretty statues, well, they're covered in purple these last two weeks. But uh-huh. if or or to hear the the pretty choir, then you're just not paying attention to the whole point of what's going on. All of this is to orient you to the altar to spiritually, you know, pass through the veil, so to speak, to get a, a, a glimpse of heaven. If if ever there's a chance in this life to get a preview of what heaven is, it's during the mass. And and which is which is a person, the only personality that you should be attached to in any way with regards to the church and the liturgy is Jesus Christ himself. Then yes, absolutely we have the communion of saints, you know, the 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 king is surrounded with beauty, splendor, and variety. That is the communion of saints. Um and the angelic choirs, certainly, certainly. However, if if at the beating heart of this is not a here's my here's the the old trope and the old phrase again. I'll I'll keep using it hopefully until my dying breath, whether that be sooner or later. If you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, man, you're missing it. You're absolutely missing it. So if you if you have to ask yourself, if I was told right now that I would never again for the rest of my life be able to see a mass or assist at a mass where there's beautiful architecture, beautiful music, beautiful liturgy, et cetera, et cetera. If that is all taken away from me, what effect does that have on me and my relationship with Jesus Christ? Well, I mean, certainly it, it would be a loss but you need to be detached from from those earthly aspects of it too because as as super nerd said eventually all of this will pass away eventually there there will be no more saint peter's basilica i I don't know when that is or how that will happen i have absolutely no idea but eventually that will no longer exist your favorite painting whatever that is wherever it is right now at some point it will be physically destroyed and it will no longer exist. Are you okay with that? Um, You should be because the point and what all of that is pointing towards is God himself and God contains in himself all beauty, (coughs) all majesty, et cetera, et cetera. So when you have the beatific vision, because God is infinite and contains all beauty in himself, there is everything that you love contained in God himself as a constitution as a constitutional quality of God himself to an infinite degree. So you can be detached from all of these things. Um, but uh, yeah, I think there are especially a lot of trads who just get who get in or only ever were basically fetishists, you know, aesthetes, people who were there for Latin liturgy, Smells and bells, um, lacy, beautiful, <laughs> lacy, beautiful vestments, beautiful fabrics, um, et cetera, et cetera. And you've you've got to be detached from all of that. Not then. That's not to say just because you're detached from something doesn't mean that you don't love it, you don't appreciate it, that you are not desirous that it that it continue as as long as the divine providence sees fit and that you enjoy it while you have it. It's just saying that if the divine providence says this is going to go away, that you're not going to lose your faith if it goes away. You know, Notre Dame burns, burns to ash and Christians throw up their hands and say, well, that's it. There's, that's it. There's no more for me. Or there's an earthquake and Rome is destroyed and there's no more St. Peter's Basilica and everybody throws up their hands and say, well, oh, well, that's the end of that. No, not at all. And in fact, I think, I think what is frightening is that if, if and when things like that happen, Notre Dame, it's already happened, that what the divine providence could have in store is that it's not an end of something that it's actually a beginning that there has to be a creative destruction and i think it's it would be naive at this point to deny that that just seems apparent that there's going to have to be some level of creative destruction well that that's certainly within the within the prophecies of of um 
the triumph of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, that uh, yeah. things are going to have to be made anew. Mm-hmm. And and the old things will have to be destroyed. Well, not all of them kind of paraphrasing it. But as part of the rebirth, the, the old things are going to have to be perfected or destroyed. So I'm not saying that the destruction of Notre Dame Cathedral is, is the case. I have a feeling that what's going to be built in its place is probably what's going to have to be destroyed. Especially yeah. what uh, Macron and some other people are saying. And just t- take a look at who's lining up to try to rebuild it. Yeah. It's not, it's not encouraging at all. So, um, I, I guess that was kind of, kind of, it's, it's, it's a sad show. I mean, it's, it's, it's inevitable that this was going to be a sad, a sad episode, but there it is. And, and hope that it, it's edifying that it, you know, makes people stop and pause and think. Um, there was another prayer request that came in and, and, um, I wanted to mention this one. It was somebody who's uh, the granddaughter of one of their employees was born a few weeks ago and, and, and has serious uh, complications, a uh, threat of imminent death. And there's brain damage and breathing problems, and they're, he's trying to convince them to baptize. And um, for me personally, there there's some familiarity with, with what it's like to have a baby who's, who's um, um, not in perfect health when they're born. So that was something I wanted to mention. Say, please, please pray for this baby. And, and uh, obviously, St. Tiny Princess, please intercede. Uh, yes. Get this baby baptized so that um, he or she can get to heaven. And normally I would do a full wrap-up with uh, all kinds of pictures and whatnot. But this time, I'm just going to keep it simple this time. Um, yeah, email so. address is podcast at barnhart.biz if you want to um, send in some comments or notes. And... Um, Please pray for priests this week, especially whether they're running into Notre Dame while it's burning to uh, rescue the Holy Sacrament or the Blessed Sacrament and relics, or whether they are the ones saying the masses for Anne's benefactors or uh, requiems for folks uh, once a week. Please pray for priests. Yes, please do. And, and thank we'll, you all. Thank and, you all for all of your support and and kind words, both to Super Nerd and myself. We've been getting quite a lot of of really lovely lovely feedback and notes and just want to let people know that we we see it we we don't respond to absolutely everything but we see and we hear you and we are grateful to you thank you so much for for all the kind words and we're going to keep going we're going to keep going as long as we can don't worry and until until next time i am super nerd and i'm ann thanks guys god bless